This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. Big news in the Patriots world yesterday, Greg. Of course, I'm talking about Julian Edelman. We've been talking about Julian for the past couple of months. What was going to happen? Was that knee going to keep him from playing? The answer is yes. As we know by now, uh, he has retired. He's done in the NFL. Your thoughts on what really is, when you look at his story from beginning to end, truly incredible. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. Um, and and we have been talking about this for months because, you know, I went back and searched on the web and the site for for some of our comments on previous pods. And I remember uh, the one in late December, I think we had, where uh, I got bummed out at the thought of Julian Edelman concluding his career after COVID and yeah. not not playing in front of fans uh, for a final time. And, and that's what happened. And to me, that's uh, to me, that's the saddest part of this is that, um, you know, I, a, a player who connected like few others in terms of Patriots, um, he just, he, he had a knack for connecting with the fans, whether it was through social media or just in generally with his play. I just think that, um, you know, Wes Welker was certainly a guy who a lot of people rooted for, but he was a guy who started elsewhere in his career with two other teams before coming here. And uh, and even though he had great success, uh, probably the greatest slot receiver in NFL history, uh, he, you know, when he, when he departed the Patriots, there were hard feelings and things like that. But with Julian he was the ultimate underdog story from being a quarterback at Kent state, uh, being very lightly recruited. He had to play at college of San Mateo for a year, uh, to going undrafted, to hanging on to the roster, to the multiple injuries that he had earlier in his career. And, and it's just, it's funny to think Nick, and I made this point in my column, you know, if, if you would have told anybody around the Patriots, and including Julian in his camp, say in April, early April 2013, that Julian Edelman would go on to have a career where, for some people, he's a borderline pro football Hall of Famer. People would be like, you're freaking insane. Because at that point in 2013, the Patriots were, they weren't done with Julian Edelman, but they they were just like, okay, well, we'll see. Because what happened was that was the year that Wel- uh, Welker walked, that the Patriots, it, it was the year after his whole franchise tag debacle. And as soon as before even free agency started, the Patriots had Julian Edelman was a free agent. And this is what they thought of him at the time, that their first move of free agency was to sign Danny Amendola to be the starting slot receiver yep. for decent money. And Julian Edelman, they just they were just like, all right, we'll go find something and maybe we'll do something. This is a guy who visited the Giants, got an offer, almost signed there, and, and instead took a one-year, very cheap deal with the Patriots just to come back here to be Danny Amendola's backup. And then shortly after that, with, with Amendola's injuries and everything, the rest is history. That's, you know, basically six-year run that he had was – incredible and you know unfortunately for these undersized players 
uh, it's tough for them to have longevity, even though he did. I mean, you know, for, to last as long as he did at his age, at the position that he that he played, the hits that he took. Um, I, you know, I think this is bad. what he did was almost akin to what Brady's done at the quarterback position, and at the end, the knee just couldn't do it anymore, and and he had to retire. And it's just, it's a shame that. He didn't have his day in front of the fans. He will have many days in front of the fans coming up. I'm sure. I'm sure he's not going to go very far, and he's going to be around as an ambassador and a Patriots Hall of Famer and things like that. But uh, for now, it, the, the sounds of silence, walk, watching Julian Edelman walk off into the distance, it's it, it, it's a little tough. It is. It's absolutely tough, and we talked about that. I believe I brought up Andrew Whitworth, who was at the time he got carted off the field, and he's a guy that's yeah. been playing forever. And I, I thought about the idea of Edelman not having that moment, walking off the field with helmet in hand, hearing the crowd, understanding that that was his final moment. But honestly, Greg, this is what happens to most guys in the NFL. Yep. This is the nature of the game, and it is brutal. It, it lets you know when you've got to go. And not a lot of guys – get to end it on their terms. They're forced to leave the game, and Edelman is just the latest guy to be forced to do that. I, I A couple of other thoughts. The Hall of Fame conversation to me, listen, I, I don't want to get too bogged down by that. I, I'm not, I've never been a fan of, oh, I think he's in the Hall of Fame. I don't think it, it, that, that conversation tends to bore me. I will say, yeah. though, the idea that people are debating whether or not he is a Hall of Famer. It tells you everything you need to know about this dude's career. Like just, just the fact that he's in the conversation, just the fact that we're talking about that from where he has been, where he came from, the very idea that he even has the slightest chance to be a Hall of Famer, I think speaks volumes of what that dude did and what he meant to this team. And really, he was a guy, and I know Brady posted this in his goodbye to him, on social media, but it's true. You know, sometimes we just wax poetic about guys who retire. We fall in love with who we envision them in their very best moments. But really, when this team needed him the most, he showed up. You know, he had some of his biggest moments in the biggest games when they absolutely, no doubt, needed him to be there for them. And I think to go back to the Wes Welker comparison, Wes Welker, whether it's fair or not, will always be remembered for the drop against the Giants. You know, it when he had the chance to have that biggest moment, it could have been a better throw. There's no doubt by Brady. But, you know, people will remember Welker for that moment and say, man, he, you know, he just came up short when they needed him. When you think about Edelman, you think about the catch against the Falcons. You think about the touchdown against the Seahawks in that Super Bowl. You think of so many big moments and what this guy was able to accomplish, it was, like I said, it, it truly was an incredible career. And it's not just because he was a Patriot. You look around the league, people were tweeting this out yesterday, you know, how much this guy meant to the league and how much he meant to, you know, other receivers. I saw A.J. Brown tweet out how, you know, he meant so much to his career. So mm -hmm. going from quarterback in college to, you know, what he has become, and what he will be remembered for. And one last moment, uh, one last thing I want to bring up too. I'm just glad he retired, and I'll tell you why. I hate, as a sports fan and as a media member, I hate when guys try to stay too long. When their mm -hmm. bodies are broken down, 
and they have so much pride and love for what they do, they can't look in the mirror and say, you can't do it anymore. You just, you, you can't do it anymore, Julian. And I'm, I'm glad as a fan that I don't have to watch Julian Edelman drag his leg through a season in hopes of having that moment that he didn't have because of COVID. I'm glad he's retiring so I don't have to watch this dude struggle just to get out there on Sunday. Yeah, I, I you know, I agree with you. And, um, you know, a couple side topics, and I, I wasn't going to mention this, but, um, well, there's a couple things I wanted to mention. And, and I had part of this in my column is, you know, I think one of the things that I'll remember about Julian um, from covering him just about his entire career, because I got I got here in, in um, 2010, um, was he, he just he, he was similar to Brady in that they, there were a lot of similarities to Brady in terms of his, you know, work ethic and, you know, just being maniacal about, um, you know, always getting better and the competitiveness and things like that. But but. Um, Edelman never, ever, and maybe 2013 was the reason and, and everything. He never felt comfortable with his place on the team. He never, he never felt comfortable to be, you know, overly helpful to the media in terms of, you know, information and other things. And, and, uh, he just, and, and an offshoot of that was he was never a captain as far as I recall with the Patriots and, in a lot of ways you could be critical of a player. You're like, well, how come he's not a captain? I mean, he's been around forever, things like that. And I don't think it was about Julian being selfish. I think it was about Julian, Julian being, he's like, I got enough to worry about just on my own plate. And it just, he, he, he came to, he came to work. I think a lot of times he even brought a briefcase with him, if I remember correctly. And, you know, he just came to work and he punched the clock and he's like, I got enough to worry about. Then I had to worry about other people. Like I, you know, he always thought his ass was going to get cut the next day. And so I don't think he worried about being raw, raw for other people, but he was always helpful and things like that. Um, you know, real quickly, if people are care about my view on the hall of fame, um, I just want to touch on it cause I don't want to belabor it because, um, Julian's career is great as it is. Um, I don't think he's close to the hall of fame, you know, I'm a no on Eli Manning. So I'm definitely a no on um, Julian Edelman. And, um, you know, I just think that, you know, I think Julian will be able to do a lot of different things, whether it's the media and things like that. I hope he, um, embraces it and sort of, uh, you know, he's sort of turns the page on being a player. And cause I do think he, he could be really entertaining and things like that. And it's not just for show when he knows he's mic'd up and stuff like that. He really is like that away from the camera and um you know he's just a guy i i have a lot of respect for in terms of what he's done in his career and uh i wish him the best in in whatever he's going to do and i don't think he's going too far i think he'll probably live in california and all that but i, th I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of him um over the course of his career and one last thing you know a lot of people brought this up people who aren't from here or don't know julian and i think i just heard Beetle and Zoe talking about Mike Florio uh, posting about how Julian Edelman is now free to go to Tampa and things like that. And, you know, the reports that he wouldn't be able to play a full season, but maybe now can he hold on for four games in the playoff, what have you with Tampa? Look, it's over. His, his knee is bone on bone. 
he is clo- in my opinion he is closer to having knee replacement surgery than he is to playing in the NFL again so I think that's where we are with Julian if he wants to have a, a long life he talked about he mentioned his family um, if he wants to play with his kid or I'm not sure if he has multiple kids at this time um, you know I think knee replacement is 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 more of a concern with him right now than coming back and winning a Super Bowl um, it's it's been a tough go with the knee and if he wanted to play, if he thought he could still play, he would be playing. He he can't play anymore. It's over. Karen's column last week, her, her report, Karen Garigian, in the Herald, you know, writing about how it doesn't look like he's going to be able to get through a full season. That was the beginning, right? I mean, that, that was like, I mean, the beginning was uh, Mike Giardi came out, I think, back in, in 2019 and said that the knee was in really bad shape. And then slowly but surely, it just kept progressing down that road. And then, you know, Karen's story last week, I think, again, shined a light on, man, this this guy just, he physically is totally breaking down. And it led to what happened yesterday. And I think he's come to grips with it. I think a lot of people go to the Rob Gronkowski example. Listen, yep. Gronk was banged up, but Gronk did not have an issue like Edelman has. I mean, Gronk can still play. He might not be the same guy, but his body has not tapped out on him just yet. Edelman's knee tapped out on him, and it probably tapped out on him about a year and a half ago. So I don't even know if he should have been out there last season. So it's it's rather obvious that this is the body telling him, no, I'm sure he would love to play football. He would love to continue to do it. He just yep. can't do it. All right, let's go from a guy who has said goodbye to the NFL to somebody who is saying hello to the NFL. And that's Justin Fields. He is having his second pro day, Greg, this week. And it's been fascinating to watch the pundits talk about Fields. In the beginning, he was seen as a can't miss top three or four kind of guy in this draft. Then all of a sudden, we had him start to fall, supposedly. And people were saying, well, he might get to New England at 15. And now it seems like over the past week or so, the stock has started to go up again because I think people are realizing, like, wait a minute, maybe we talked two down on this guy. A, a lot of fluctuating with where he's going to go and where you know what he could be in the league. Your thoughts on his second pro day coming up and, and really your thoughts on him as a quarterback at the next level. Yeah, so uh, in conversations with people this week, I was trying to um... – gauge what the significance was of the Patriots and and who knows what the final numbers will be but there was a report that the 49ers and Patriots were the only teams I think uh in the past couple days that were going to be the only teams at his pro day and of course that kind of information like you know gets the draft industrial complex like buzzing and (laughs) (laughs) like it means something um you know and I asked about it look they they you know, Josh McDaniels will be at Ohio State. Um, he was he was at Alabama when Ohio State had their other pro day. He couldn't be in two places at once. Um, you're only allowed – all of this stuff is significant in terms of, you know, there's a lot of debate about, oh, Bill Belichick's not here, he's not there, blah, blah, blah. You only get three, play, uh, three people at any pro day. Um, that's it. So sometimes you – you need somebody to go there and do a bunch of work uh, on these players, and and maybe it's not the best place for 
Belichick or the offensive coordinator, but um, you know, there's not much else on the plate. They've done Ohio state. Uh, they've scouted the rest of the guys at the other pro day. They had people there. Now they're, they're sending McDaniels. I don't know who else is going. I don't think it's overly significant. I think they're just, they're doing do, their due diligence. And in terms of Justin Fields overall, um, I think that in, in ever evolving conversations with people around the NFL and around the Patriots, um, what's interesting is you talk to some people like say the Eagles tracked, and this is how they ended up with Jalen Hurst, which was they, they were high on Russell Wilson, but decided not to go that route. They thought they would, they thought where he went, I think in the third round was a little bit too high for them and they regretted it. And they saw like sort of that athletic stocky, well-built guy that there's some upside there because they can make plays while they're still learning the nuances of the position. And and so they didn't make that same mistake with Jalen Hurts. And I thought maybe the Patriots would be of the same mindset. And and I don't I don't think that they are. I think that I think that they look at the quarterback position and grade it, you know, very traditionally. And in terms of where is this player today? You know, where can they be? And like Mike Lombardi said on this podcast when he read out those descriptions where it says like basically to be drafted where the Patriots are picking or higher this player has to be a top 10 player at their position right and I don't think they see the mobile guys unless they do think that they're highly polished I don't think that they think the mobility guys just because they can make plays with their legs to extend plays uh they don't necessarily grade them any higher um, it, it's it solely has to do about how they are from the pocket. Can they make throws when the game's on the line? And to me, I don't think I don't think they think Justin Fields or Trey Lance is worthy of, you know, say a top half of the first round pick. Um, I think there's very few prospects that they they have that grade on in terms of the quarterbacks. Um, you know, two maybe three in this draft. I think, in my personal opinion, I don't have any inside knowledge on this. I think Mac Jones would be a third guy for them that they would think just because of what he's done and what he's done in Alabama and how smart he is. Um, so I, I, the Justin Fields thing is a nice story. And who knows? Maybe they think he's worthy of the 20th pick. I don't know. But I wouldn't put any huge significance. Uh, you know, I saw some stories like, oh, and I think, you know, our guy uh, Jerry over at Barstool had a, blog post that said like oh well now you know the likeliness of the Patriots trading up is increasing by the day um I'm not ready to go there yet Jerry might be right Jerry knows a lot of things but in my opinion I think this is due diligence and looking not only to complete their evaluation for now but also down the road should these players um become available I will say that the Patriots have studied the quarterback's this year like never before but that's not just like the top of the draft that's all the way through the draft they're doing a lot of work on the quarterback so I don't think this is overly significant I will say you've been very consistent whether you end up being right or wrong Mm -hmm. I don't know but you've been very consistent talking about the quarterbacks and this draft you've been a wet blanket for the people hoping that there will be a big dramatic move up the board Uh 
you know, the, the Patriots will be there in the fourth spot and they'll draft Justin. You've been the wet blanket from the beginning about that scenario. You've said the entire time, listen, you know, maybe they draft somebody late in the first round, possibly, you know, maybe they move back, maybe they move back in and draft somebody late first round at that position. But you've mentioned the guys like Davis Mills. You've mentioned the guys like Kellen Mond and said, hey, you know, it's probably more likely the Patriots if slash when they draft a quarterback in a few weeks, it's likely to be those guys and not what a lot of dream scenarios for fans are currently. So you've been very consistent. Again, we'll see if that plays out the way you've been talking about it. Uh, One more thing I want to talk about before we get to uh, your draft pick here what you think the Patriots are going to do at 15. I want to talk about Belichick because uh, Belichick turns 69 years old. Nice on Friday. And uh, you know, I I think the question and the question is going to continue to be Greg for the next couple of years. How long does bill do this for? And I know there was the NFL network special going back years ago. And he said he was not going to be more Levy. He was not going to sit there and, and coach in his seventies like Marv did. Your thoughts right now, as Belichick gets closer and closer to 69, which means he gets closer to 70, he turns 69 on Friday. Your thoughts on Belichick right now, how much he still loves the game, and how long do you think he can keep doing this for, or at least how long do you think he wants to keep doing it for? I think as of today, I I, I don't think there's any end in sight, Nick. I think, look, could he wake up tomorrow and say, I don't want to do this anymore? Yeah, but I think... He's been able to, and some people uh, will be critical of Belichick for this, and will say like, "Well, now you know, you wonder why they can't draft anymore, and they got to, you know, spend eight hundred billion dollars in free agency <laughs> to to compete this year." Is I think I think he's, and I give credit to his girlfriend Linda Holiday for this. I think they they've struck a really nice balance, uh, a home and you know, work life balance, if you will, um, in terms of like, he has, he, he has, um, he has been able to, uh, detach, you know, he has realized like, you don't have to be in Foxborough to, you know, 12 months out of the year to work on football. You can be in Palm beach and you can be in Aruba or you can do this and you can still get, you know, work done and, you know, they, they spend a lot of time on Nantucket. And, and I think that's, I think that's really, in my opinion, I think that's the thing that's given him longevity in his career. I think if he stayed on the same workaholic, um, no days off type of mentality, I don't think he, we'd be having, he might be done by now, but I think because Linda has been able to influence him and get him to say, you know what, Bill, you know, you you know, you can work on your computer from, you know, the Palm Beach airport and, and instead of, um, you know, Foxborough, you don't have to be there. You don't have to bring your people in all the time. Like he's, he's been very judicious about giving um, people off. I think that's one of the reasons why they didn't coach the senior bowl um, because he had already given them time off after a really tough season. I know that, I don't know if it was last week, was it last week? Or even, you know, when Belichick and McDaniels were at the pro days at the Florida and then Alabama pro days, I think both of them came from vacation, if I understand this right, to to go to those pro days, or at least they were in the area. So I think all of that stuff, and, and I think you're right to bring it up, Nick, that this is, 
it's all part of the conversation with the quarterback and what you're going to do with the quarterback. Like if you think if the court if the if the coach thinks like I only have two or three years left, then maybe he tries to be a bit more aggressive. But I don't think Belichick is even. I don't think he's really even contemplating the end. So I think he's at least going to 75, in my opinion, another six years, which opens up a lot of different uh, possibilities. And I can tell you the people around the team, nobody ever talks about, well, B- well Bill's going to be done uh, you know, soon or X, Y, and Z. You don't hear any talk. You hear more talk about guys going on interviews and, and trying to get jobs and things like that. That's because – they don't know when Bill's going to retire, and Bill is not one that's going to be sharing information about that. And I think also having his sons on on the staff has helped that too. I mean, he's going to be 70 soon, and his kids are all grown up now. It's not like he's going to just sit there and enjoy kind of just hanging around with the family. I mean, a, a lot of the family is in the business that he's in, and he's got yep. his girlfriend, as you mentioned, Linda. She obviously is fine with the schedule they've put together, and she's fine with what he does in his off time and, and how much he works during the on time. And really, I mean, if you love what you do, then why leave it? If you're happy doing it and the people around you are happy that you're doing it, the only thing would be if the game passes him by and, you know, we'll see you and I have talked about that before about how Shula aged out of the game. We'll see if the same thing happens with Belichick. He's obviously had a big time off season with free agency. We'll see what he does in the draft. And, you know, I I think he's dead set on, and this might be a little too dramatic, but turning things around, you know, after going seven and nine last year, he's got a fire in the belly and people doubting you and your ability and your legacy and all that kind of stuff. It will reignite those flames in case they were going out. I don't think they were going out, but I think they've been reignited even more because of the doubt out there about what, what he is and, and who he does. And, oh, he, he can't coach without Brady and all that crap that we hear. Uh, let's move on to the draft. I see that you've made a, a pick uh, at 15 for the Patriots, and you have a lot of thoughts as to why you chose this young man. Tell the people, Greg, who you have the Patriots selecting at 15 and why you have the Patriots selecting him. So I went through my uh, my first mock draft, and uh... – you know, just to sort of get uh, a bearing on what what's going on and, and my thoughts to this point, what I've accumulated. And so I, I went through it in my pick for the Patriots at 15. And first of all, people should know that I had I had the Bears trading up to four with the Falcons uh, for Justin Fields, I think. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to call it up right now. Um, yeah, so Justin Fields, even though the scuttlebutt in the NFL is Trey Lance is the apple of the eye of the bears. And I also had Washington trading up to number seven uh, with the lions for Lance that could easily be fields. Um, Most people you talk to in the league think that, you know, all five quarterbacks will go in the first, you know, at least 15 picks, if not uh, top 10 picks and and if I had to wager right now I would say the five quarterbacks go in the top 10 I just think that you look at the Bears and Washington they're much more desperate for quarterbacks than the Patriots in terms of we might think that they're desperate for a quarterback and not happy with Cam Newton but I don't think the Patriots view themselves that way and they're they're never going to admit or even appear to be desperate ever 
when it comes to anything in free agency or the, especially the draft. So um, I had all five quarterbacks gone and on the clock at 15 staying there. Um, to be honest, I wasn't thrilled with, you know, the talent available at the positions that I wanted. Um, I, I was disappointed that uh, the wide receivers, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, all went in about the the, the seven picks before that. Um, J.C. Horn, the cornerback, had gone. Patrick Sertan had gone. Um, those Those were really positions that I was looking to fill that I thought I might be able to get somebody special for the Patriots at those positions that would really help them long-term. And now, look, Caleb Far- Farley, the cornerback, was still on the board. Jalen Phillips, edge from Miami. Kawiti Pei uh, from Michigan. Um, those are sort of the guys that I guess people would think. But outside of that, I was pretty much left with, and, and I like this pick, Nick, and um, we didn't have time again today to get into 2022, and I do think that 2022 is a huge factor. We'll get into it next time. Um but when you look at where the Patriots are next year, first of all, we think Dante Hightower is back, coming back. But what if he gets to the precipice and he says, you know, I, you know what, I really don't want to go back. Now what are they going to do at linebacker, let alone that he's a free agent? I mean, the Patriots have so many free agents next year. They're fine. Largely, they're fine on offense. The defensive line is fine for next year. But the secondary and the linebackers are just the, 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 there's nobody on the roster right now, really in the you know in the secondary beyond this year and also at linebacker nobody that you can count on. I mean, maybe you think UJ gets there, maybe Jennings gets there, maybe Bentley somehow revives his career, maybe Dante Hightower looks like he's discovered the fountain of youth and they re-sign him or they tag him or what have you. But to me. It, it, look, Micah Parsons is a he, he is a unbelievable physical specimen at the linebacker position. He is not he is far from polished. Um, could you make the argument what we talked about with the quarterbacks? It, could he be a top ten player at his position as a rookie? I think you could make that argument, and I and I think that's that just speaks to where the sort of three down linebackers are in in the NFL. Um, look, he has a lot of boxes that need to be checked off the field. I won't have any idea about that. I won't have a good beat on that. But in terms of what the Patriots need for now in the future to solidify this defense, get a playmaker in the front seven that could be there for multiple years, a guy who can blitz, who can cover, uh, who can impact a game, a guy that they really don't have anybody really like him in terms of his physical profile. He's like a you know, he's like Jamie Collins in, in that sense, but I think he's, I think he's a better football player and he's more explosive than Jamie Collins. And I think that for those reasons, Micah Parsons was my pick in mock draft 1.0 for the Patriots. I mean, uh, we've been talking about the Patriots needing speed for a long time now, and that's on both sides of the football. Parsons is a freak. When you talk about athleticism, 
I think he would fill a need, no doubt about it. And like you said, this isn't necessarily just about 2021. This is about yep. the next five to six years. And if you could find that young linebacker who could really be the stud at the second level for the next seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, then I, I think the pick that the pick makes sense. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what they do. I wonder if Waddle might slide a little bit. I've even seen Devontae Smith in some mock drafts start to slide a little. I don't think there's a chance that Chase is there. Uh, yep. There's no chance that Pitts is there. Uh, I, I think, you know, a guy, Caleb Farley, that you mentioned is very interesting. He's had yep. back surgery. He opted out last year. Uh, a solid, really good, you know, maybe with the potential of being a shutdown kind of guy at cornerback out of Virginia Tech. That would be interesting. It depends on the medicals. And as you did mention, you know, it'd be interesting to see where Parsons falls because it's not necessarily on the field. It's off the field with him. There are some mm -hmm. question marks. And like you said, those are the things that we can't do. I mean, I, I like Dwayne Haskins coming out of Ohio State. I thought he'd be a good NFL quarterback. I didn't know he would be going to strip clubs after losses exactly. during the global pandemic. Like, we, yeah. you, you don't know about these guys. I don't sit down across from them and have interviews with them. So, It'll be interesting to see if Parsons does check those boxes off the field. Let's jump to the BostonSportsJournal.com member question of the day. For $39.99, 11 cents a day on their annual plan, not only do you get top-notch analysis of all the Boston Pro Sports, but sports that was, but if you're a Patriots junkie, then a membership at BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis Bedard does on the coach's film and direct access to him in weekly chats. Matthew, RG4. I see what you did there, Matthew. A little play on the RG3 thing. Uh, Greg, could you give us some insights into Jacob Dolagala? Is that how you pronounce it, or is it Dolagala? <laughs> I I don't know. I couldn't tell yeah, you. I think that then tells that you a lot you. about the insights yep. of Jacob Dolagala. Uh, I really like the tape so far on this kid, and I think this under-the-radar pick by Belichick might be a strong option to start later this year at quarterback. Uh Okay, so Matthew, I appreciate the question. I appreciate the passion. I appreciate the uh, the attention to detail on the depth of the Patriots uh, depth chart on the, on the lower reaches of the Patriots depth chart. It reminds me, this is a question that I would get straight uh, in Green Bay from Packers fans who care more about the third string fullback than um, most teams care about their quarterbacks. So I I appreciate that. Um, that being said. Uh, I don't have many thoughts. I don't have many insights on Jacob Dolagala, and I will tell you why. I have never, ever heard one person associated with the Patriots, and we discuss quarterbacks a lot <laughs> yeah. around this team. I have never heard one person, any of my sources, ever bring up his name. You know, it, he's just – he's a guy – He's a camp arm. He's, you know, I know that he's six, seven. Um, and I think he has some nice intangibles and, you know, who, who, you know, who knows, maybe he could hang on and be a backup and be a spot starter, but for a team that's in desperate need of a starting quarterback, um, I don't think he is anywhere near on the radar and, um, you know, we'll see how long he is for the roster. I just don't think there's much there.
All right, but we gave you a lot. Other than the uh, Jacob Dolagala, Dolgala non-breakdown, <laughs> we did give you a lot in this episode. Julian Edelman retires an incredible career. Justin Fields in or out for the Patriots. Belichick, how long does he have left? And, of course, we've got Mock Draft 1.0 by Greg uh, having the Patriots select Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State, at number 15. There's so much more to talk about with this team as we get ready for the draft. But for now, we're done. He's Greg. I'm Nick. Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. Subscribe, rate, and review. We'll talk to you soon.